Well, hey, as we close out this series called Intimacy, we are trying to figure out how do we have intimacy? Because that's really what we want. Not, not intimacy, but intimacy. And, and intimacy is the act of knowing and being known. I, intimacy is when I know somebody and they know me. And that's what we hope for and that's what we desire. But in our social media world, because of the various platforms that we have, we can uh, buy into intimacy, thinking it's actually intimacy. And intimacy is this digital world of followers, fans, friends. It's, it's hearts and likes and, and, and various emojis. And in intimacy, I can know about somebody and somebody can know about me, but they don't really know me and I don't really know them. And what we hope for, what we desire, what we long for is intimacy really to be known and to know other people. And, uh, and, and there's nothing wrong with, with Instagram. There's nothing wrong with Facebook. There's nothing wrong with any of these social media platforms. I, I use them. Our church uses them. They're, they're really great. And, and there's nothing wrong with wanting more likes and followers. But, but if we're not careful, we can just chase after that to where if somebody presses their thumb against a thumbs up icon and likes my post, likes my picture, then it does something in me and I feel better about myself because of it. And, and we don't want to live from a place where I'm longing for the likes, where I need more fans, friends, and followers to make myself feel better. Instead, I want to find my identity in who I am and who God says I am, and I want to live from that place. But there's, there's also nothing wrong with getting more likes, and, and, um, and if you want to get some more likes, I was, I was trying to figure out uh, how, to, how to up my Instagram game, because I have an Instagram, but I don't really use it very much. So I was doing some research this past week and I discovered some ways to up my Instagram game where I can get some more followers and more likes. And, uh, and I understand that the language I'm using isn't really like Instagram language, like it, it's a heart that you get. So I guess that's love, but I'll just say likes. Because we all want to be liked, right? There's nothing wrong with being liked. And if you want to be liked and get more likes in Instagram, uh, I, I discovered the way to do that is by applying a filter to your photo. And so if you apply a filter to your photo, you'll get more likes from your photo than just if you just post a photo with no filter. And so I, I was looking to see what, what is the most used filter people use to get likes, and the number one filter people use to get likes is Clarendon. And so if you take a picture uh, and you post it to Instagram, you'll just have your regular standard picture, but when you apply the Clarendon filter, the likes are guaranteed to come in. Like they're just going to come in. So there's a Clarendon filter. The second most used filter is the Gingham filter. And so you can apply this to your photo and then again, likes will just start pouring in. And I also found in my research that, because um, again, <laughs> I'm researching Instagram because I don't really use it. I should be more hip than I am. But uh, I found in my research that all these different filters apply for different things. Like, uh, so for instance, if you take a selfie, you should put the Clarendon filter on. Uh, the gingham filter, the internet said, is more for hipsters. So if you want to look more like a hipster, put the gingham filter on. And, and then there's the skyline filter. Now, the skyline filter is great for food. And so if you go out to lunch after the service and you take a picture of your meal, uh, it'll probably look like this. But when you apply the skyline filter, <laughs> it'll end up looking like this, right? It's just guaranteed likes coming in, right? And then... Um, there's, there's another filter, the Kelvin filter. And the Kelvin filter is one where uh, it's more for fashion. So if you take a picture of yourself and you just put it out there, uh, that's kind of what you'll get. But when you apply the Kelvin filter, you'll end up looking like a rock star, right? So 
just some guaranteed ways to get some more likes on your Instagram. And, and really, that's what we all want, right? Like, we want to be liked. And in order for us to be liked, what we can often do is apply filters to our life. Because I want to be liked in work. I want to be liked at school. I want to be liked in my family. I want to be liked in life. And so it's easy for me to be liked if I just apply a filter. And so I'll smile a little more. I'll, I'll put on an act. I'll, I'll act differently when I'm at work. And when I do that, when I apply a filter, I'll be liked. We all want to be liked, but that's not what we need. What we need is to be known. And in order for us to be known, it means that we have to be real. And the secret sauce for being real is vulnerability. What, what we all need is to be known. What we all need is to be loved. And in order for us to be known and to be loved, we need to be real. And the secret sauce for that is vulnerability. The, the Latin word for vulnerability is vulnerare. And I find it interesting that this word means to wound. So if we're going to be known, then we have to be we have to put ourselves in a place where we allow ourselves to be wounded. See, vulnerability means here's, here's all the ammunition that you need to take me out. Vulnerability is here's all my faults, flaws, and failures. Here's all the things that I don't get right. Here's all my hang-ups. Here's, here, here's all the problems in my life. And, and it's disclosing that to someone, letting somebody know that. And when they know that, when they know what you've been through, when they know what wounds you, they then have the ability to wound you. Vulnerability is like handing someone a loaded gun and saying, please don't shoot me, because now they know everything about you. But in order for us to be known, we have to be vulnerable. And in order for us to find healing, we have to be vulnerable. Because just like I may hand you all the ammunition about my life, so you know my faults, falls shortcomings and hang-ups. You have the ability now to wound me. You also, now that you know my faults, flaws, failures, and shortcomings, you now have the ability to help me heal because you know what wounds me. You know what's hurt me. And so now you have the ability to help me heal. And this is what we need when it comes to friendships. But it's so difficult for us to do this because we've been hurt before. You've been vulnerable with somebody before. You've opened up to somebody before. You've let somebody in before, and they stabbed you in the back. They hurt you. They let you down. They didn't come through like you were hoping they came, would come through, and you got wounded. And so when that happens, it's easier for us to close back up, to stray away from vulnerability and to put on a filter and pretend like everything's okay when really it's not. And that's not what we need in life. What, what we need in life is Proverbs 18.24 kind of friends. It says this, there are friends who destroy each other. We don't need those kind of friends. But a real friend sticks closer than a brother. A real friend sticks closer than a brother. We need those kind of people in our lives who stick closer than a brother. We need those kind of people in our lives who know us, who love us, who know our shortcomings, our faults, our flaws, our failures, and they stick closer than a brother. They stay right there with us, and they say, I'm not going anywhere. We need the kind of people in our lives who are going to hold us up, who are going to support us, who are going to encourage us, who are going to challenge us. We need the kind of people in our lives who, when we're experiencing shame and regret, when we're feeling remorse, when we feel small in life, we can go to them and share that with them. And you know exactly what I'm talking about, because you've experienced this before in your life, this, this feeling of smallness, this feeling of, of shame, 
It's when your mom makes a small comment about your parenting and you emotionally go to everything she ever did wrong when you were a kid and you just wanna unload on her. It's in those moments you need somebody that you can go to and you say, man, this is what happened and I, and I messed up. And I did it again. Or you can go to them and you say, this is what happened and I so bad wanted to unload, but I didn't, but I just need to share this with you. We need friends like that who we can go to when we feel small. It's when your boss or your teacher corrects you and they actually did it in a healthy way but you associate being corrected with not being good enough and inadequacy, insecurity, and defense rises up in you. You need friends that you can go to and you say, man, I'm feeling this way. I'm feeling insecure. I'm feeling inadequate. You need friends you can go to um, when you look at the money that's coming in and the bills that are due and they don't line up. And there's, there's a shortage. And instead of thinking, this is a challenge for me to deal with, you begin thinking, what kind of a man am I? You felt this way before. You feel small. You feel the shame. It's when you keep dating, but you won't commit because you don't, you don't want to become your parents. It's when you say, not this time. I won't let this get me anymore. I'm stronger than this, but you get drunk again, or you eat how you feel again, or you go back to those sites again, and you feel defeated and worthless and helpless. You need friends to sit closer to a brother or than a brother that you can go to in those times, who can lift you up. It's when you mess up again as a parent and you know, not think, you know, because these kids are stuck with me, they're screwed. And you just think if they were with somebody else, they'd have a better life. It's when you deal with your ex-spouse and she says that one thing that makes you feel like she owns you, you feel small and it's shame. It's in these moments that you need people who are close, closer than a brother, who support you and challenge you and encourage you and lift you up. And the question that I have for you this morning is do you have them in your life? Do you have these kind of people in your life? Do you have 2 a.m. friends, friends that you can call when it's two in the morning, when everything's hit the fan and they'll come get you, they'll come help you, they'll drop everything to be there for you? Do you have those kind of people in your life? because that's what we need. But in order for us to get those kind of people, it requires that we're vulnerable. See, somebody in your life needs to know everything about you. And, it doesn't need to, and, and, and it's not your spouse, because she doesn't need to carry some of the weight that you're carrying. It's not your kids, it's not your family. It's, do, do you have a friend who knows everything about you, who can be there for you when times are tough? And look, I, I'll tell you, I can't be that friend for you. All right? Um, I can't be that friend for you. I can be your pastor, but I can't be that friend for you because I don't have the capacity to do that for everybody in our church. I need a few people for me. You need a few people for you, but I can't be that for you. Like I said, I can be your pastor. I'll listen to you. I'll pray with you. I'll cry with you. I'll lead you in the direction God is, is, is telling you to go. We can look at the scriptures together. I can counsel you, but I can't be that friend for you. You gotta have that friend. You gotta have those friends who are close to you, closer than a brother. Do you have them in your life? You know, we... Um, I've heard statistics about obesity and how obesity shortens our lives, how obesity uh, kills, essentially. 
And I think we all agree with a lot of the research that's there when it comes to obesity not being good for us, obesity being something that's unhealthy for us, obesity being something that can shorten our lifespan. But watch this, loneliness also increases the risk of premature death by 30%. Researchers determined from over 70 studies that isolation, living alone, being lonely, has a greater impact on premature death than obesity. Did you hear what I just said? Let me, let me rewind it and say it again. <laughs> Researchers determine from over 70 studies that isolation, living alone, being lonely has a greater impact on premature death than obesity. Translation, it is actually healthier for you to be obese with a crew than to be fit and alone. And so in real world translation, what this means is after this service, if you have a choice to go for a run alone or to go eat a burrito and drink soda with a crew, it is actually healthier for you to go eat a burrito and soda with a crew. Who wants to go to Moe's? Let's go. By, by the way, we're actually, my family and I, we're actually going to Moe's right after this. Moe's right down the street here in Lynn Haven. And I'd love for you to join us so that we can get to know you, so that we can hear your story. By the way, if you got kids, you should take them there because kids eat free. So we're going to be there after the service. We'd love to hang out with you. We're going to tear down first in here, but we're going to be there. We'd love to hang out with you because it is healthier for you to be obese with a crew than fit and alone. Now, it's really best for you to be fit and with a crew, so that's our goal. That's what we want to have happen. But if you have to make a choice, come on, join us at Moe's and get you a big fat burrito and a soda. Now, <laughs> here's something that Jesus said during his ministry, John 8, 36. So if the Son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. So if the Son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. Here's, here, here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying that I have come to set you free from sin, from everything that holds you down, everything that weighs you down, everything that you're ashamed of, all the regret in your life, all the ways that you've hurt yourself and all the ways that you've hurt other people. I have come to set you free. And that's what Jesus did for us on the cross. And that's what we celebrate every single week when we take communion. You have a uh, cup on your chair and there's bread and juice there. The bread represents Jesus' body that was broken for us. The juice represents his blood that was shed for us. And later on, we're going to give you a chance to observe communion. But we observe communion as a reminder that Jesus died for us on the cross, that he rose again from the dead so that he set us free so we could be free indeed. And so we remember this every single week when we take communion. But also every week when we gather like this, we want to give you an opportunity, if you've never made the decision to say yes to Jesus, by believing that he died for you on the cross, that he rose again from the dead, and you've been immersed in him, being baptized into him, if you've never made that decision, then today I want to invite you to make that decision. And, and you can do that easily on our app. Dave talked about downloading our app earlier. Uh, we'll actually put the, the app uh, slide up so that you can download it now if you haven't, but there's a form there that you can fill out to let us know that you're ready to make the decision to believe in Jesus, to follow him, make him the lead of your life, and to be immersed into him. Because until you make that decision to believe, follow, and be immersed into Jesus, you're not free. You're dead in sin. You're bound. You're trapped. And it's time to get free. 
So if you've never made the decision, make sure to download the app, make that decision, let us know. We'd love to talk to you about that and answer any questions that you have about following Jesus. But Jesus said, I've come to set you free. So, so if the sun sets you free, you'll be free indeed. So Jesus wants to set us free from our sin, from our regret, from our shame, from the addiction that keeps holding you down. But he also wants to set you free from your anger, from your worry. Jesus wants to set you free in all these various areas of our life. And the way that he does that is by becoming our friend. When we say yes to Jesus, believing in him, following him, being immersed into him, Jesus becomes our friend. He knows us by name and he invites us into relationship with him. And it's through a friendship with Jesus that we can be set free. And Jesus also wants to set us free when it comes to our friendships and our relationships with other people so that we have healthy friendships and healthy relationships. And we actually see Jesus model this in his own life. And so I want to look at the way that Jesus models this. And then uh, I want to I see how do we apply this to our lives. So here's how Jesus models this. And, and it's important for us to see this because if Jesus set up his life this way, when it came to his friendships, I want us to learn from the master. So, so I want to learn from Jesus. And I want to do what Jesus did. And so here's what we see. Matthew chapter 4, verse 25. It says, large crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. And then Mark 3, 7. Jesus went out to the lake with his disciples and a large crowd followed him. And so what we see in, in Jesus' ministry is that Jesus had crowds. And so imagine three different circles. The outer circle is the crowd. There's, there's crowds. These are people who are following Jesus. And then it also says um, that there are some disciples here as well. But the disciples that are mentioned in what we just read aren't like Jesus' famous 12 disciples, if you're familiar with them. These are people who just want to follow Jesus, who want to learn from Jesus. Later on, we find that Jesus goes from the crowd, he, he, as he thinks about friendships, he has the crowd, people who are on the edges, who, are, who, who he has influence with, who are following him, his fans, and then he narrows it down to 12 disciples. So he narrows his circle down to 12. And so these are the people, like Jesus can't invest in everybody. He can't give himself to the crowds. But what he does is he selects 12 people that he's going to pour into, he's going to invest in, he's going to train, he's going to teach, he's going to coach. So, and, and, and so he, he narrows the crowd down to 12, and these are the people he's going to spend more time with investing in. And we see those disciples here in Mark chapter 3, verse 13. It says, afterward, Jesus went up on a mountain, and he called out the ones he wanted to go with him, and they came to him. And when he appointed 12 of them, and called them his apostles. They were to accompany him, and he would send them out to preach, giving them authority to cast out demons. These are the 12 he chose. Simon, whom he named Peter, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, but Jesus nicknamed them the sons of thunder. That's an awesome nickname, right? I want that, the sons of thunder. Andrew, these other guys, they don't have nicknames. Uh, Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, Judas Iscariot, who later betrayed him. And so Jesus has the crowds, and there's some disciples in the crowds, people who want to learn from him, but then he narrows it down where he picks 12 guys he's going to spend more time with. So he spends time with the crowds. He sees the crowds. The, the crowds are around him, 
But he doesn't spend a ton of time with them. He's going to spend more time with these 12. And I find it fascinating how Jesus selects his 12. It's a schoolyard pick. It's like Jesus is playing kickball. It says this. Afterward, he went up on the mountain. He called out the ones he wanted to go with him. It's, it's a schoolyard pick. The, the crowd is all around. There are people who want to be his disciples, clamoring to be his disciples. And Jesus stands there, and he surveys the crowd, and he's like, no, uh-uh. Okay, you, oh, uh, no. You, you, yeah, you'll do. Uh, that's it, right? This is what Jesus does. When he picks his disciples, he picks 12 people. It's a schoolyard pick. And then he, he, he picks who he wants. He tells them to come to him, and he dismisses everybody else. Now, now, if I was in the crowd that day, and I didn't get picked, I would have gone up to Jesus afterwards, and I would have said, hey, Jesus, I think you forgot somebody. Like, I was there, and look, I get it, I get it. You know, you were picking people, and I know why you didn't pick me, right? I mean, hey, I'm going to follow you. And all. I know why you didn't pick me. It's because I was standing next to Zeke, and everybody knew you weren't going to pick him, and you didn't want to make him feel bad. So now he's not around, but I'm here. So come on, let's, let's make this 12, 13. And what Jesus would have done is he would have looked at me and said, no. No, I didn't pick you. Go away. Like, that's what Jesus would have done. That's what he did. He handpicked these 12. And after not being picked, I now have a choice on how I can respond, on what I can do. I, I could get mad. I could get offended by this. I could, I could then say, well, pff, so, so, who does he think he is, right? I could, I could get critical. I could get disgruntled. I could go on social media and post, some rabbis think they're better than others. I'll just follow somebody else. I could do that. But watch this, watch this. How I respond to the choice Jesus makes is more of a reflection on me than it is on him. It's not a reflection on him at all. It's more about me. It's more about my insecurity. It's more about my feelings of inadequacy. It's more about my pride and my ego puffing myself up. Hey, hey, I'm not just talking about the disciples 2,000 years ago. I'm talking about here and now. The issue is not always the issue. The the, the problem is not always the problem. The pointed finger isn't really always just, it's not about you, it's more about that person. When, when you have an issue, when you get mad at somebody, when you, how you choose to respond says everything about you. And if I chose to respond that way in this scene, Jesus didn't pick me, I'm mad, whatever, well, that would be further evidence as to why he didn't choose me in the first place. Because look at how I'm reacting. Look at how I'm responding. You choose how you respond. And how you respond is a reflection more about you than it is about that person. In the same way, if somebody is hating on you, beefing with you, having an issue with you, just remember it's not about you. It's more about them than it is about you. It's because they don't like something in them. And they see it in you. You've heard the phrase, you spot it, you got it. Yep, that's it. They're mad because they got what they see in you. You're mad because you see what 
uh, is in you. So it's not always about the other person. Most of the time it's about us. But Jesus does this schoolyard pick and he selects the 12 that he's going to invest in, that he's going to pour into. And here's what I find fascinating, that one of the people he selected betrayed him. One of the people he selected wounded him. Why? Because if we're going to be known, if we're going to know other people, we got to be real. The secret sauce of being real is being vulnerable. Here's a loaded gun with all the ammunition. Please don't shoot me. You give someone that power, and they can wound you. They can hurt you. They can break your heart. They can betray you. But they also have the power to heal you because they know what wounds you. Jesus gave this power to his 12 disciples because he modeled vulnerability. And so Jesus had the crowds, people on the edges, people on the fringes. He spent time with them. But then he narrowed it down to the 12. And then he narrowed those 12 down to three. Like even, even smaller. And these three are people that he shares everything with. He's, he's open and vulnerable with. I want to show you this moment where Jesus invites these three into one of the worst moments of his life. We see it in Mark chapter 14, verse 23. Jesus goes to the Mount of Olives to pray with his disciples, and, and, and here's what he does. They went to the olive grove called Gethsemane, and Jesus said, sit here while I go and pray. He tells this to his 12 disciples. Then he took Peter, James, and John with him, and he became deeply troubled and distressed. He told them, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. So Jesus has left the crowds already. He takes the 12 with him. He says, all right, stay here and keep watch and pray. And then he takes Peter, James, and John with him a little further. So now they're even closer to his vulnerability, to this moment where he's feeling uh, like, like death is about to come. He said, my, my soul is like crushed. It's, he's overwhelmed with sorrow. And he brings these guys in to see a part of his life not everybody else gets to see. He brings these guys in to sit with him, to keep watch with him, to support him, to help him. See, what we see in the way that Jesus set up his life is that he had the crowds on the outside, and then he had the disciples, the 12, closer to him, and then he had the three who were really close to him. See, Jesus loved everybody, but it doesn't mean everybody had access to him. Jesus came to be the servant of everyone, but he could only actually serve a few. Jesus came to teach everyone, but he only poured into a few. And I wonder, as you look at this model that Jesus created, crowd, disciples, crew, who's in your crowd? The crowd is easy. The crowd is everybody that you have an affinity with. The crowd is everybody that you have something in common with. And so for me, the crowd would be our church. For me, the crowd would be Patriots fans. For me, go Patriots. For me, the crowd would be uh, people who like cars. For me, the crowd um, is, is people who work out, people at the gym, right? This is the crowd for me. Who is in your crowd? Maybe, maybe for you, it's new moms, it's punks, jocks, retirees, it's 
PETA, people for the ethical treatment of animals, or people eating tasty animals. Whatever your crowd is, there's a larger group, right? And so you identify your crowd. And then there's your 12. Who are your 12? And it doesn't have to be a literal 12, but these are the people that you're investing in. Maybe it's your family. Maybe it's your friends. For, for me, it's our staff. For me, it's the people who are in the groups that I lead. Like, these are my 12. These are the people that I'm investing in. These are the people um, that have a greater level of access and vulnerability and relationships with me, right? And so, so these are my, my 12. So, so who are your 12? Maybe for you, it's a team at work. Maybe it's a group or, or uh, college friends. Maybe it's your kids. Like, who is your 12? And, and your 12 are people who are investing in you, but it's also people you're investing in. Because you are investing in people, right? You are teaching some people. You are making them better, right? Because if not, you're burying the gift that you have. God has given you some great things. God has given you some skills and experiences and stories that you can use to share with other people, to help other people. And if you're not doing that, if you're not investing in other people, if you're not pouring yourself out to other people, you're robbing them from the gift that is you. You have something to give to people. So who's in your 12? And then finally, there's your three. And this isn't a, a literal three, but these are people who know your shadows and don't turn away in disgust. These are people who you've said, here's a loaded gun with all the ammunition and it could take me out. Here's all the dirt, here's all the pain, here's all the regret, all the hurt. Not just past stuff, but current stuff. We do that, don't we? Well, I used to. Well, there was a time in my life when, or back then I, what about the current stuff? See, vulnerability is not just back then. Vulnerability is here's what's happening now. Who are the three? Who's your crew? Who are the people who know everything about you? These are the people who love you, who see you. These are the people who you can cry with in tough times and they won't say a word to try and fix you because that's not what you need in that moment. Instead, they offer their shoulder. Who are the people in your life who you can call and say, my week was crap, let's go get a beer together and they drop everything and they join you? Do you have that person? Do you have those one, two, or three people in your life? Who are the people that will drop everything and they'll meet with you and they'll help you see things from an eternal perspective? Like your, your week may have sucked, but they'll meet with you and they'll say, hey, remember, life is only a vapor. And so this moment is not every moment. Your inner circle are the guys who are asking you questions like, uh, how are you talking with your wife and kids? Do you have those people? Who are the people on a regular basis who are asking you, how are you talking to your wife and kids? Who are the people in your circle who are asking you, when's the last time that you looked at porn? Who are the people in your life who are going to uh, help you stop uh, thinking negatively like you are? Who are the people in your life who are asking you, what are you going to do to stop the drinking? Who are the people in your life who are asking you, when do you think you're finally going to forgive your dad? Like the inner three are the people to whom you can say, I feel like a failure. And they can remind you that what you did is not who you are. Who are those people in your life? Your inner three accepts all of who you are. They accept your gold and your shadows and there's no judgment. 
They see you in your best times and your worst times, and they still stick with you. So I wonder, who is in your inner three? Because there was a time uh, a couple years ago uh, that I didn't have an inner three like this, and I was alone. I mean, I wasn't alone. I was surrounded by people. I had, I had a crowd. I had disciples. I had my family. But I didn't have my crew. And your crew is not your wife. Because she doesn't need to be asking you when's the last time you looked at porn. You need some guys to ask you that. Your, your, your crew is not your husband. He doesn't need to carry some of the weight that you're carrying. And he doesn't need to hear some of what you're going through. But you need some ladies that you can talk to who are going to help you with that, right? Who is in your crew? Who are, the, who are the guys? And by the way, if you're a guy, it needs to be guys, not girls. That's how affairs happen, right? If you're a girl, it needs to be girls. Who's in your crew? Because a couple of years ago, I didn't have a crew. I didn't have people who could ask me some of these things. And I felt lonely. I felt alone. And then uh, I went to this... Uh, weekend retreat called Crucible, and uh, it's a men's retreat. They also have women's retreats as well, but I went to this weekend retreat called Crucible, and it helped me discover more of who I am. Uh, it helped me discover uh, really the thing other people saw about me, but I didn't see about me, and uh, it like transformed my life. And when I came back from Crucible, uh, I was talking to some some other guys about it, telling them uh, about this experience that I had, inviting them to go to Crucible. One of the guys I talked to was Dave. He's my brother-in-law, and uh, he went to Crucible uh, this past December, December 2021, uh, and it changed his life forever. Uh, and then just recently, a friend of mine, Jeremy, he's on our guide team. He went to Crucible just uh, a few weeks ago, uh, and it changed his life. So I'm saying all this because I highly recommend that you check out Crucible. They have men's weekends and women's weekends. Um, but when these guys came back, I found my crew because they knew what I needed. Yeah, I found my crew. They knew what I needed, and they became the ones who uh, were in my inner circle. I'm not telling you this so that if you go to Crucible, you'll be in my inner circle. That's not why you should go. Um, but you should go for you because it'll change your life. But... Um, I found my crew and I didn't have it for so long. I wonder who's in your crew? Have you found your three? And if you have them, good, let them know. Thank God for them because they're a blessing that they're in your life. But if you don't have them, who needs to be in your crew? Do you have names of people that you can ask? Do you have names that you can go to and say, hey, I need to be vulnerable, I need to be open, I need to be real with you? Do you have names? Write them down and talk to them this week because you got to have a crew because if not, you're going to end up doing this life alone. You're going to be surrounded by people. You have the crowd. You have your disciples. Yeah, but you're going to feel alone, and the truth is you're not alone. You need that support. You need that encouragement. You need that accountability. And it's because so many of us don't have a crew like this that we're engaging in this experiment for the next six months. Um, and here's how this experiment is going to look. Uh, I am convinced that inspiration happens in rows. 
So you come and you get inspired, you hear a sermon, that's really great, but transformation takes place in circles with other people where you're talking about this stuff. So because a thing I hear so often is that we're so, we're so busy, we have all these things going on in our life, we can't really squeeze something in during the week, which really the truth is we make time for what's important to us. I'm not going to preach on that, it's another sermon. We make time for what's important to us, right? But because I hear that so often, instead of trying to fight that and change that mindset, what we said is we're going to help meet people where they are, we're going to meet you where you are. So Sunday morning, Sunday morning, you already have time carved out to come to a service. So what we're doing is because inspiration happens in rows, transformation happens in circles, what we're doing is we're switching up our model of meeting. We're, we're going to meet together as the church because the church is a people gathered together on mission, which becomes a movement. What we're going to do together as a church is we're going to meet one Sunday for a service like this right here. And then the next Sunday, beginning next week, we're going to, the church is going to meet together in circles, in groups, in homes. And then the next week we're going to meet for a service, and the next week groups, and then service, groups, service, groups. Every other Sunday, service, groups, for the next six months. And we're going to test this thing out, because here, here's what I believe is going to happen. We're going to come get inspired in rows here on Sunday morning, and then we're going to go talk about it the next week on Sunday morning in circles, and then we're going to see transformation take place, and we're going to see something shift in our lives. And here's what I believe is going to happen. As we engage in this model, and as you get involved in a group, when you show up on Sunday morning, you're going to get to know some of the names behind the faces that you see every single week. It's amazing to me how people can show up to church every single week and still not know people. It's because we haven't had a chance to sit in circles to get to know them. So we're going to engage in this experiment. And um, what we've done today is we've given you a, a form for you to fill out. And on that form, it's going to ask for your information. And it's going to ask you what group you're going to choose. Because we want you to choose a group. If you don't choose a group, you're going to miss out on half of what we do as a church. You're going to be out of the loop. You're not going to see that transformation take place. So I want to invite every single person, if you haven't signed up for a Sunday morning group yet, go ahead and do that. You can do it on our app. If you've already downloaded that, you can sign up for a group from our app. But you can also use that form to sign up for a group. We've also given you the schedule so that you can know what Sunday is service and what Sunday is group. Now, notice that I'm using my language very carefully because I'm not saying what Sunday is church and what Sunday is group. Because church is every single week. The church is the people gathering together. The church came to Skate House this morning. Next week, the church is going to go to homes in groups. The following week, the church is going to come to Skate House. The following week, the church is going to go to groups. So together, collectively, we as the church are still going to meet every single week. You're still going to have church every single week, just in the format of a service and then in the format of groups. And when we do this, we're going to find our crew. We're going to discover stories of people that we never knew before. And we're, we're actually seeing this happen right now, even in small ways. So I want to introduce you to Angela and Danielle. Y'all give it up for Angela and Danielle as they make their way up to the stage. So Angela and Danielle, um, 
Tell me, Danielle, you uh, used to live in California, right? Yeah, San Diego. San Diego, so. California. And Angela used to live in California too, right? We did. San Diego? San Diego, 13 years. <laughs> nice. Danielle, when did you move here? Um, a couple years ago, and I kind of did what I like to call the church shuffle, where you go from church to church, and you collect all the mugs, and you decide <laughs> which one has the best <laughs> mug, and then that's where you stay. No. <laughs> um, but yeah, I kind of just did a, a tour of Hampton Roads churches and didn't really find my place for a really long time. Yeah. Okay. And then uh, you ended up coming to Journey. Yeah, so Mother's Day was my first Sunday. It's what I asked for for Mother's Day was to try out Journey. And um, I was like, I looked around and I was like, these are my people. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. So I like it. It looks like I wanted it to look. I like it. And so, Angela, when did you guys move here? We moved here in 2016. We okay. moved back from, we were in San Diego. We went to Germany for three years. And then we landed here. My husband was military. Yeah. And so you came here um, in 2016, you moved here. Um, were you part of a church? Were you not part of a church? How did you end up coming to Journey? We tried to plug back in when we got back, but like, being in Germany, there's not a lot of English speaking churches. And so we kind of got out of the habit of going, like when we were in San Diego, we had gone really faithfully, you know, our kids were baptized there and stuff. And just Germany, we didn't have a lot of opportunities to plug in. So we, kind of did the same thing. We shuffled around for a while and then COVID hit and then so we didn't do anything for Nothing. a couple of years. Yeah. And then I got that lovely flyer in the mail. It's like, come check out Journey. Yeah, so you got a flyer in the mail. You came uh, to Journey on the first day, I think, our grand opening, yeah. And so you came uh, grand opening March 20th. You came uh, Mother's Day in May. Um, and then you both ended up coming to the group that my wife and I lead on Thursday nights. And so we were there talking uh, just a couple weeks ago, and I forget, uh, I feel like both of you resonated with talking about how lonely it feels. Was, was that right? Or did one of you start that off? Yeah, I think Angela was talking. Um, and like before this, like people in the circle are very vulnerable. They're like sharing their mess. And I was like, oh, like so I can do that too, yeah. which is really nice. Um, but I think Angela, you were sharing about how like lonely you felt um, and how you didn't really have people like you used to. Yeah, we'd been really plugged into a life group in San Diego, and that was our tribe. I mean, they helped us raise our kids. We raised, you know, we raised our kids together. We we got together every, you know, week just to hang out for different things. And so I missed having my tribe, and that's what I was sharing. Yeah, and then I was next to her, and I was like, <clears throat> what church did you go to in San Diego? Like, there's a lot of churches. Um, and she was like, new break. And I was like, oh, my God me too like that was like the church that I went to that I was exactly thinking of like oh my gosh those were my people and like we lived together and we ate together and we I mean we worshiped together it was just like such a good community um and how like we were both just feeling like we don't have that anymore um which was kind of sad but also like hey like we could be that like for each other the irony was, like, we left in 2013 to go to Germany, and she came at the end of 2013, yeah. so we just missed each other. Yeah, so. yeah. yeah, and so uh, because you were in this group together, and you shared your story, and you got to talk about that, you found that you had a connection. You were at the same church from in the same city, 
uh, felt the same kind of thing. And, but you never would have known that if you just sat in a seat on Sunday morning. You never would have found each other like you did. And then you guys plan on doing lunch together. Did, uh, did that ever come about? We haven't yet, so okay. thanks for calling us out. Yeah. Um, <laughs> now there's accountability. <laughs> um, but like I was going to say, like that's what like group is about, is those me too moments. And maybe you like haven't been to the same church, but maybe like like me, like I'm going through a rough divorce right now. And so like I had someone else in the group that was like, I've been there, like I feel you. And so it's like all about those me too moments. Like we can connect on different levels with each other that we're never going to know if we're just like chilling in our seats. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's why it's so vital. That's why it's so important to get involved in a group. Because if you do this alone, you'll feel alone. But the truth is, we can't do this alone. And when you discover that, when you embrace that understanding, we can't do this alone, you'll know you're not alone. Because somebody else has had a miscarriage too. Somebody else has been through a divorce too. Somebody else in this room has been laid off too. Somebody else has felt insecure and inadequate also. And when you link up in a group, sitting in circles, you'll be able to hear those stories. You'll get to know those names. And now you have somebody who's journeying with you. We can't journey alone. That's why we need to be in a group. That's why next week, you need to be in a group. You don't need to show up here because we're not going to be here. But you also don't need to sleep in and stay home. You got to be in a group so that you can discover that you're not alone. But we're all in this together. Would y'all give it up for Danielle and Angela one more time. Thank you so much for sharing your story. Yeah. So here's your homework. Your homework is to identify who's in your crowd, who are your disciples, your 12, and then who's in your crew. Who's in your crew? Who are the one, two, three people who you're vulnerable with, you're sharing life with? And if you don't have that, my hope is you'll find that in a group. As you think about the people who are in your crew, some criteria you need to keep in mind, they need to be Christians. They need to be people who are running after Jesus and they're gonna help you run after Jesus. If they're not doing that, they can't be in your crew. They need to be people who honor you, who respect you, but who don't admire you, who aren't impressed by you because then they're just going to want to try and be your fan. You need people who are going to love you, no matter what, who are going to guide you, support you, hold you accountable, and challenge you. So who's in your crew? you got to identify those names. Once you identify those names, let them know. If you already have them, let them know. And if you're not sure, write the names down and ask them if they'll be in your crew. But for everybody, we can't do this alone. So next week, we'll see in groups. But before we do that, we're going to take time to observe communion. Again, reminding ourselves that Jesus set us free so that we could be free indeed. So that we don't have to journey alone. So we don't have to carry it alone. But we can be set free. Let me pray for us. God, thank you so much for your love and your grace and your mercy. We can't do this alone. Thank you that you came to this world so that we wouldn't have to do it alone. But we need others, just like you needed others. 
So as we take communion, let us think through the people who can be in our crew. Let us press in towards you because we want to become more like you, setting up our life, modeling our friendships the way you did. It's in Jesus' name.